Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. Just like Christian Yelich, I am back. Took a, would say a day off. I don't even want to qualify it as a day off. I was, I had a podcast kind of planned out. It just timing all got fucked. And so I wasn't able to tape on Friday. Much apologies for that. Um, We should have a full week. I'll talk about that at the very end of this show. We, but we have a good one today. I mentioned Christian Yalich. Christian Yalich, we're going to talk about his weekend, what this means for the Brewers, where the Brewers can go from here, just how Yelich has kind of found himself yet again here this season, um, where it finally looked like Christian Yelich of old, and what this could be for the Brewers as, as we go on. We'll also talk about their big series with Cincinnati, um, why that this can be the knockout punch for the National League Central. Talk about the impact of maybe not having Zadaria Smith for the first game of the season. It doesn't seem like it's contract related, but we'll talk about it because I, I kind of disagree with that. I know Brian Gunaku said it was con- not contract related. I think I've, my favorite word recently has been adjacent. It's contract adjacent, in my opinion. Um, so I'll, I'll t- explain that. Then we'll talk about the Detroit Lions and our Eye and the Enemy series uh, to finish it up and why I hate the fact that the backers are playing the Lions when they are this season. I'll explain that and a lot more as we get into today's show. But let's start with Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich is on fire. Christian Yelich is having himself a week. He's feeling good finally. And you kind of started to see remnants of this in St. Louis, right? Like you started to see... Maybe Christian Yelich finding himself a little bit more. The bunt single um, on Wednesday night was incredible. One of the kind of memorable moments for the Milwaukee Brewers in the last month. And when Christian Yelich was hot, it felt like he had a iconic moment every week, every series. It felt like Yelich made one big play to swing a game for the Brewers. And that was... The one big play for Christian Yelich was this bunt single that drove in a run. And, and you could you could push back and say, well, Charlie, that was the second run of the inning. Well, it sparked a big extra inning for the Brewers, and they did give up a run in the bottom of the, that inning. So who knows, right? Like, who knows um, what might have happened? But Yelich was 2 of 5 yesterday against the Nationals in a win for the Brewers. And he's been hitting 355, 16 for his last 45, with five extra base hits, 10 RBIs, and his last 11 games. So Christian Yelich is feeling himself. And if you actually, funny enough, if you look at the timeline here, and it's pretty much right after Mitch and I did the whole state of Christian Yelich, and we worried about Christian Yelich's struggles. Now, I will defend that podcast. I'm sure Christian Yelich... If he continues the success, he's going to have a message to the haters. I mean, he's definitely going to, he might shout us out. I don't know. It'd be great to be clipped by Yelich and be like, hey, look, these guys said that I was washed and here's where I am right now. I never, we never said Christian Yelich was washed. Like, let's, you can go back and listen to that podcast. We never said Christian Yelich was washed. We were just worried. We were just like, look, in the short term, should he hit? lower in the order can they figure this out they have to really understand what's going on with his back and make sure that he has the regimen that he needs to sort of be in a good position and and honestly i think that's a whole part of this right like i think his back 
really bothered him for a lot of this year. And I'm sure we'll hear more and more as the you know year goes on or maybe after the season that he's like, yeah, the back was a real issue. And I had to kind of tweak a lot of the stuff that I was doing. And I had to, you know, new workouts and new way to sort of feel myself and how, how to understand, you know, myself at the plate. I think there's a lot that goes into what maybe was wrong, quote unquote, with Christian Yelich, right? It, it wasn't just maybe mental. It was that his back was really bothering him and he wanted to stay out there because it felt good to, to at least be playing, but he just could not really make the swing happen. And then the fly ball rate started. He started lifting the ball more and more and sure as shit, he ended up start, he ended up delivering big hits. And the home run, the, the grand slam on Saturday was one of the best moments of the Brewers' season. I mean, that game was full of it. Like, the Colton Long tag up from third base on a pop-up was fucking absurd. I, I was at Olydia's with Doe's, and we were enjoying wings, beer. It was a great night. My stomach did not feel good the next day after a couple cigars, wings, ice cream drinks. Awful combination. Would not recommend uh, a 0 out of 10 there the next day. But... I told Doze because Doze was his back was turned to the Brewer game. I was like, dude, you got to watch this Cole Long play. Like, this is fucking incredible. And it was an amazing play. So there's that moment. But then the Yelich Grand Slam, he's up to the plate. The Brewers had already drove in a run on a, I think, a hit batsman. So it was 5 4. But they, you know, they needed that knockout punch, right? They needed the knockout punch to sort of say, all right, this, this thing's over. And Christian Yelich hits the grand slam. I get up off the bar. Like, I'm like, he is back. Like, everybody. I mean, 454 feet. It was a complete moonshot. And, and just a signal to Christian Yelich is A, heating up. B, he's the Christian Yelich maybe a little bit of old. And he's starting to really feel good. And this is a huge development for the Milwaukee Brewers. Because every, all, all year... It was, if Christian Yelich can get hot, that was the phrase, right? If Christian Yelich gets hot, the Brewers are taking their their team to another level. And that, to me, has to be scary for the rest of the National League. It has to be scary for the Cincinnati Reds who are coming to town tomorrow, who we're going to talk about here in a second. They all have to look at this and say, oh my God, Like this Brewer team already was good. Now you're adding Yelich, a Yelich hot streak to the mix, and it's going to be really hard to beat them. And if Christian Yelich is playing this way down the stretch, it's they're they're going to be near unstoppable because they were already very good without Christian Yelich doing much at the plate, and now he's adding in home runs, extra base hits, just getting on base, right? Even Christian Yelich getting on base, that leads to maybe more hits for Willie Adamas. That leads to maybe more hits for Abisail Garcia. Eduardo Escobar is hurt, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second as well. But... It, so it's going to lead to more opportunities for other guys. Christian Yelich being hot is not just a great thing for Christian Yelich. It's a great thing for the guys behind him in the order or even Colton Wong ahead of him if he's batting second because Colton Wong's going to see better pitches because they don't want to necessarily deal with Yelich. And they already think, all right, maybe we'll pitch around Yelich. Maybe we'll be a little more careful. So it'll be interesting to see if the pitchers adjust immediately. Like, that was a lot of the problem with Christian Yelich was he wasn't getting good pitches. And he was being overly patient and not aggressive. Will Salmon pointed out in The Athletic today that Yelich has not taken a walk since August 14th. So he, he hasn't taken a walk in, it'll be 10 days um, since he's 
played. And so I have to wonder if that is a huge proponent of this, right? If Christian Yelich was just needed to be a little more aggressive and that aggressive nature for Yelich is going to lead to more opportunities like this one. And I, I think it is. And I, I think Christian Yelich is more than capable of coming through with a massive hot streak and being a vital part of what the Brewers do for their final push into the postseason. As Lorenzo Cain said, this is the fun part. With everything else is kind of a grind, the fans are getting into it, this is the fun part. And he is absolutely right. And let's hope Christian Yelich makes it more fun. As for the Cincinnati Reds coming to town, so the Reds have been playing good baseball. The Reds overtook the second wild card spot yesterday uh, with their win against the Marlins. They swept the fish, and the Padres continue to struggle. The Padres now have to play the Los Angeles Dodgers. Things keep getting kind of, it goes from bad to worse for the Dodgers. It seems like, or I'm sorry, the Padres. It seems like the Padres are reminiscent of, you know, a young, they kind of remind me a little bit of the 2007 Brewers in a way. Remember the 2007 Brewers, they started off just absolutely on fire. They were full of young talent all over the diamond. Now, the Brewers didn't make the free agent moves or the trades that A.J. Preller did for the Padres, right? That wasn't what the the Padres were about. And Now, you do have to ask, is Jace Tingler the right manager for the job? Like, if I'm the Padre, and I know he's pretty popular, if I recall, but I would wonder if I, Jace Tingler is a guy who I might move on from, right? Like a Nedio situation where you move on from the guy to see if you can spark your team and just say, all right, Jace, like we, you did, you did what you could, but like we have to move forward, right? We have to move forward with this team because who knows, right? And the Padres definitely need to find their magic and their rivals, the Dodgers, and the Dodgers say, yeah, it's not a rivalry. You know, if they can come through and have a big week against LA, maybe that sparks them. But they've, they are definitely like looking for answers. I think Darvish is on the, the IL. So the Reds are taking advantage because the Reds have one of the easiest schedules in baseball going forward. But they do have three against the Brewers this week. And it should be an awesome series. It should be playoff-like atmosphere the entire week. On Tuesday, you have Tyler Molly against Corbin Burns. On Wednesday, you have Luis Castillo against Brandon Woodruff. And then on Thursday afternoon, you have Sonny Gray versus Brett Anderson. So those are three major matchups. Gray and Anderson's might be might be the only mismatch. Molly's been great this year. Castillo has figured it out um, after having a really tough start to this season. And you guys already know about Burns and Woodruff. I worry a little bit about Brett Anderson against that Reds, Reds offense. So that, to me is a swing game. Um, I think the Brewers should be able to win the first two. This is an opportunity for the Milwaukee Brewers to deliver a knockout punch. They win two out of three. They go up to eight and a half games. Eight and a half games with about a month to play seems almost insurmountable uh, if you're the Reds. Now, if the Brewers sweep, if the Brewers move it up to 10, 10 and a half games, I think it's it might be the Vince Carter gift. It might be over. Right, it's going to be really hard for the Reds to put themselves back in that position. It would take a monumental collapse from the Milwaukee Brewers for the for them to not win the NL Central, being up ten games with basically forty games to go. That would be there would be some really dark, deep shit if the Brewers blew that. Um, so, I think the opportunity is there. 
if the Brewers lose two out of three, let's say they do, and say that six and a half is the is the lead, I'm a little nervous, but I'm not like entirely nervous. I think the thing that looms for the Brewers is a four game series with San Francisco the following week, right? And that's not easy. Now you do play Minnesota as the in between. It's like you're you have really good bread. Well, take San Francisco sourdough. It's like they have two really good pieces of bread and some shitty meat in the middle of it because the Twins aren't good. And they can take advantage of that, hopefully win that series, which would help them out. They need to kind of build that buffer before heading into San Francisco because San Francisco is not going to be easy. And so that is where I guess you worry if the Brewers were to lose the series. Now, the Reds are a good team, but you can argue kind of similar to what we saw with the Cardinals last week is they haven't really played anybody in the last few weeks. And so how will they sort of respond to playing a level up in competition? Because it's not going to be a walk in a park. You're not playing the Miamis of the world. I mean, you look at the Reds for the last few few series. Played the Marlins, they swept them. They played the Cubs, they lost two out of three to a really bad Cubs team. Now, they did win two out of three against a good Phillies team. But they lost two out of three to Atlanta. They played the Indians for one. They swept the Pirates and the Twins. So you look at their last few. So Twins, Pirates, Indians for one. Uh, Phillies, probably not a playoff team right now, so we can count them. So really the only team that they played that is in the playoffs at this moment in the last basically month, month and a half has been Atlanta. And they lost two out of three to Atlanta. They blew them out the last game, but they blew a lead late. They lost a close one in the first one. And they, so are they actually going to be ready for the bright lights? I think if I were doing a Reds podcast today, I'd be asking that question. Are they ready for this moment? This is a major moment for Cincinnati. The Brewers have responded to every one of those this season. And no team has really looked bigger than the Brewers. You could maybe argue the San Francisco Giants, right? And the Brewers did have some tightness, I think. You know, the Avisail Garcia play on Saturday was was a really rough one in that series. So I'd hate for it to be like that again. And I think that's the negative side of it. If we want to get go to negative town here, if the Brewers kind of look tight again, similar to that San Francisco series, I do think there are some questions that have to be asked, right? I won't be, unfortunately, doing podcasts till probably Monday, and so I won't be able to kind of react to that. But if the Brewers do struggle, I do think we got to ask ourselves a lot of questions. And I do think we have to wonder, is this team, you know, are they really sort of ready for this? Because that would be a second straight series where they've sort of crumbled. And now earlier in the year, it wasn't like that. Earlier in the year, you know, when the Do- they played the Dodgers, when they played the Padres, they were sort of ready to roll and they felt great about it. So I'm not entirely concerned, honestly. It's not something I am worried about. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just, I'm just calling it out. The Giants series wasn't that great for the Brewers and can they respond in a much better way? They've had some comfort playing the Reds. The Reds have had some comfort at American Family Field. They swept the Brewers in early July here, and the Brewers returned the favor in at, at the start of the All-Star break. So we'll see what happens. I, I could see a variety of scenarios, but I think it would be foolish to bet against the Brewers not taking at least two out of three. Moving on to the Packers, we'll talk a little bit about the Jets game. It wasn't that exciting. I got to be honest, it was 
one of the more meaningless Packer games just from a actual viewability standpoint in a very long time. Um, just because, you know, no Jordan Love, uh, Rodgers obviously not playing, Zach Wilson was there, the Packers lose yet again in preseason. I don't think anyone should be concerned with the Packers not, not having that much offense in preseason. I think it's going to be fine. They're resting a lot of guys. They don't really give a shit about preseason. That's that's kind of the motto from what it seems like for Matt LaFleur, which is it's pretty much what you expect. I think given his comments and everything like that, I'm not surprised that Matt LaFleur has sort of poo-pooed preseason. Um, that does not surprise me in the slightest. Um so we'll talk a little bit about bubble roster spots tomorrow. Um, that'll kind of be tomorrow's show. We'll we'll get into more of the roster maneuvering, maybe for the Packers. You know who could be in, who could be out. We'll go through that um, tomorrow. That sounds like a good show for tomorrow, um, and that's what we'll talk about. So we'll do a little bit more on on Saturday's game tomorrow. I, what I want to talk about today is Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith's back issue continues to be a problem for the Packers. Now, Zadarius Smith was bothered by an injury that felt more like a contract dispute injury than anything else. They were getting him back on the field. They were starting to work him through drills, and then something flared up and he got hurt. Matt LaFleur wasn't too happy in his press conference on Sunday. It seemed like he was kind of upset that Zadarius Smith was going to miss some time and express some frustration. It, it, as someone described it, I think it might have been Nagler, you know, LaFleur looked cagey. Like, and LaFleur has, has some cagey moments in him. Um, he is definitely a guy that is not the most, shall we say, I wouldn't say media friendly. He's good with the media, but like, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Like he definitely, you can tell when he's pissed off. You can tell when he is not, you know, feeling it. And that was sort of a moment, right? Where he felt very annoyed. It looked like he was almost pissed off that Zedaria Smith got hurt. And why I think he was, and then Brian Gunacus also met with the media yesterday, said it wasn't related to the contract. What I think Matt, Laf- what, what's going on there with Matt LaFleur is I think the frustration is that Zadarius Smith did not, you know, keep himself healthy during this time of, we basically took training camp off, right? Like he was like, I'm pissed about my contract. I want a better deal, yada, yada. And so he didn't put in the work that he needed to during that time. So when he didn't put in the work and he's like, all right, back to work, here I go, ramping it up, I hurt my back again. And now I don't know when I can play. And they don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of the season. So what really is that impact? Well, obviously, it's a big loss for the Packers, right? Like, not even Zedaria Smith is going to affect what the Packers do from a pass rush perspective. Now, Rashawn Gary is a monster. Um, Rashawn Gary is having really a moment. I think Rashawn Gary is going to have a massive season. I think a lot of people, including myself, are putting their chips in for a Rashawn Gary breakout season. So Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, you won't lose a ton not having Zadarius Smith, at least at the start. I think, in my opinion, I think you just have to make sure Zadarius Smith is healthy for that San Francisco game in week three. Like That is where I think the season starts. Like, I'm not to take anything away from New Orleans and Detroit, and we're going to talk about Detroit here in a second, but I do think the season begins on the third, third week of the year. I think New Orleans is still going to be figuring themselves out. 
I know the Superdome will be packed. I know it will be loud. But I, they're going to be figuring them, themselves out. It is going to be a process for the Saints. It's not going to be completely fleshed out in week one. So I do think you can get away with maybe not having Zadarius Smith. You know, guys like Jonathan Garvin, Chauncey Rivers, they have a good pass rush. They have other guys that can supplement Smith and they might be all right. Like this might be a case to keep Jonathan Garvin, right? At least for a couple weeks before we know where Zadarius Smith is going here with his back. What you wouldn't want is for him to go on like the pup. If he goes on the pup and he misses the first six weeks of the year, then it's a much bigger issue because you have to deal with teams like San Francisco, Pittsburgh, um, Cincinnati, even though they're bad, like you still have Joe Burrow and you want to put pressure on Joe Burrow. Washington with Fitzpatrick, like there, you do not want Zadaria Smith to miss the first six games of the year, just point blank. If he misses the first two, it's, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Detroit has, is a rebuilding team. You can probably get, again, you can probably get a pass rush with the guys mentioned, but you can't have Zadaria Smith out for six weeks. And maybe LaFleur was cagey because not only was he annoyed that he overdid it after, you know, basically taking half a training camp off, but maybe he knows more than we do. And maybe it is a pump injury. I, I hate to speculate. I'm not going to. But I, I do wonder if there is a little bit more to the caginess of Matt LaFleur. And yeah, for Zadaria Smith, I, I'm, I don't want to do this, but I will. Because whatever. We'll keep it 100, right? Zedaria Smith bitching about his contract was a bad look. It was, it was just like everybody wanted a piece of the pie and the pie was already eight. Like we had already had the pie. It'd be like if my fiance, who was a fantastic baker, one of the best in the business, if she had made a pie for a party of ours and the pie was gone and everybody had ate some of the pie and talked about how great this pie was and someone came up came late right they had something else now well i want pie too it's like they have more important things than zaria smith i'm sorry zaria smith one of the best players of the packers he's one of he's the leader of that defense like i i understand that but aaron Rodgers figuring out your shit with aaron Rodgers was more important than that figuring out the contract stuff with Devonte adams was more important than zaria smith trying to also get a deal done with jair alexander who might be one of the best corners in in football also more important than Zedaria Smith. Look, Zedaria Smith's probably not coming back, all right? Like, they have Rashawn Gary. They can maybe get Preston Smith back again for cheap. Like, he's a, a low priority, unfortunately. And I understand that pisses him off. Like, look, you're an athlete. Like, you're always going to think you're the most important person. But Zedaria Smith and his agents needed to read the room there. So to go back, I understand the caginess of Matt LaFleur because I'm kind of there with him. I'm kind of cagey about it. Like, I don't think Zedaria Smith should have been the one asking for a contract extension and asking to renegotiate his deal because there was a lot more important things to deal with. And while Smith might not understand that, it's how it is. And that's football, man. That's how, con that's how the salary cap, we can't pay everybody. We're not, and we're not going to put ourselves in a situation like the Saints and others and the Rams where we're just paying everybody and we'll figure it out later. That's not the fucking Packers. We went over this. We listened to a bunch of podcasts we did this summer. So hopefully Smith can be back for week two or week three. And if he goes on the pop, 
it's not going to be great. Moving on to our Eye of the Enemy series. We started this last week with the Bears and the Vikings. feel like, at least with the Bears, uh, it kind of played out, right? We talked about the depth issue and Tavon Jenkins, their second-round pick, uh, is, might be out for the year with a back injury, which, again, if you're the Bears, you can't, can't really deal with that. And their offensive line was very shaky against the Bills, uh, so I might have been a little nicer about the offensive line than I should have been. But, you know, you live and you learn. So you have the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions are going to be the Lions of old. So they're going to be the Lions that are rebuilding. Um, They have Dan Campbell, who is a, quote, machine. Um, He's a guy who I'm sure is going to drive me crazy if he does ever beat the Packers um, because he is uh, he's forward right he's definitely a guy who says what's on his mind he's definitely the football guy mentality Dan Tara Dan Talica he is a media darling if you will uh, just because he doesn't give a fuck which I appreciate I appreciate Dan Campbell you know not not mincing words but um, it's something that as an opposition, it's going to get very annoying. Jim Schwartz at times was like that. And when the Lions got good with Schwartz, it became very annoying. So I think right now it's like the Lions are kind of cute. Dan Campbell says some funny shit and that's it. But as we go on and if Dan Campbell continues to succeed with the Lions, it's going to get annoying. And then it's going to be like, all right, this is I'm not having fun anymore. I want off this ride. Don't want to hear part of my take talk about Dan Campbell and something he said for the 50th fucking time. But right now the Lions are in a rebuilding mode. And I wish the Packers were playing the Lions at different points of the season. They're playing them week two, Monday night. They're playing them the last game of the year in Detroit, an annual game between the Packers and Lions. It almost should be a trophy. It should be like the end of the year Ford Motor Company Lions Packers annual game. Like they always play at the end of the season. I really don't understand it. You know, Mitch and I nerded out last uh, last Tabby the Keg where I was like, I just want to talk to a schedule maker. That would probably be like one of my number one questions for an NFL schedule maker. Be like, so what the fuck is it with the Lions and Packers in the last game of the year? Like what? why does that always seem to happen? Can you walk me through that? Help me understand it. And I think the Bears and Vikings fans would have the same question because it's always a divisional game. So we always seem to have Bears and Vikings and then we always have Lions and Packers. Why? I don't know. But there are bad times of the year to probably play both. And here's why. Because the week two, it's going to be a Monday night game. I think it'll probably be the Lions' only primetime game. It'll be first game back at Lambeau Field. So the energy will be really high, right? That said, I know Campbell will use that as motivation. And as some have talked about, he's going to probably be a guy that does some things in September, right? Like, they're not going to quit. You know, they're a team where they might be a double-digit dog and you look at the Lions early on in the season as a team with a lot of punch and at some point that punch will go away whether it's injuries whether it's shit we're just not that good and they're just going to have a lot of close losses and come close but not necessarily win and I would have preferred to play Lions in like October and November as they're kind of going through the dog days of the season the Lions early on to me are a kind of a scary live dog where they could nip your heels because Dan Campbell can use it as motivation. He's like, we're going to spoil what they want to do at Lambeau Field, all this stuff, and just use it as a motivational tool. The same at the end of the season. Some people could say, Charlie, they're going to tank. They're going to want to get the number one pick. They're going to get Spencer Rattler. They're going to get 
uh, Sam Howell from North Carolina. Like they want to draft the next Matt Stafford for them. True, but it's Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell to me is the anti-tank. There will be no one that will tank less than Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell will not allow that the word tank to enter the Lions media room. Like if they act, like pray for the first media member in December to ask Dan Campbell about tanking. Because I guarantee you he is gonna unleash hell. And we saw this with Brian Flores. Now I we I don't know about Dan Campbell as a coach. We'll see. But Brian Flores was a good coach. I think Brian Flores is a great coach, actually. Like I think Brian Flores is a really good, good coach. And I think the Dolphins could be a sneaky playoff team. Like I kind of like their over this year. I haven't looked at what the actual total is, but I do like what the Dolphins are are putting down. I think the Dolphins are going to be really good this year. I, I they might be a sneaky AFC East winner too. You probably get that at like plus six hundred at this point. But it all starts with Flores. And to me, like the the year where everyone's like, oh, the Dolphins are going to be trash. A lot of similar like narratives to what the Lions were. They ended up winning five games. And for them, that was a massive accomplishment. I could easily see Detroit doing that. I think the Texans are going to be worse than Detroit, even if Detroit plays as everyone expects them to. I do not think they're going to get the number one pick. I think that belongs to Houston. Houston will be on the clock in late April, pretty much no matter what. I can't envision a situation where Houston isn't the first team on the clock. So then you have Detroit. And I just think Dan Campbell's not going to lie down. And so you plan him at the end of the year, it's not going to be this tank. It's going to be like, we want to spoil whatever the Packers are doing. Whether the Packers still need need to win to get into the vision, whether they need to win to get the home field at Lambeau again, whether they need to win to get the two seed, whatever it may be, or maybe even get in the playoffs. Hopefully not, but you never know. I don't think Dan Campbell is going to allow his team to lie down. It's just not his mentality. So that's where I worry about when the Packers play them because I do think that there is a lot of piss and vinegar that's going to be shown. And I would just wish it was an October or November thing. But the Lions, it's really hard to see what their strength is here. Like, I, I look at it, maybe it's the, the line a little bit. Like, you look at that offensive line, and there there's some guys, right? Like, Vitaly now moving inside, that's a good move. He's a terrible tackle. Panay Sewell, I loved. One of my favorite guys out of the draft. Taylor Decker, decent left tackle. Frank Ragnow, good, in, good at center. Like, maybe it's that offensive line. And so maybe that leads to DeAndre Swift having a really good year. Their offensive coordinator is Anthony Lynn. I think that's a disaster. Uh, we saw what Anthony Lynn did last year with the Chargers. He was a complete mess. Um, they really don't have much at wide receiver um, with Terrell Williams, Brashad Bierman, and Amon Reyes St. Brown, uh, EQ's brother. I just don't see a lot in that receiving core, so that's not going to help Jared Goff. But they do have a decent running attack with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, former backer. Their defensive, their base 3-4 is not much to write home about. Their secondary is trash. Jamie Collins is old. Alex Azoni is good, not great. Uh, they they just they don't have a lot of guys. Akeem McNeil is a big, big dude in the middle. Um, so they do have that sort of potential there with him and Levi. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. Another top pick. 
The Lions, I think, are setting the table for having a really good defense in a few years to come. They need more out of Jeffrey Okuda. Um, can Jeffrey Okuda play like a third pick overall this year? He got absolutely torched last year. Devontae Adams just abused him in the games that the Packers played against the Lions last year. So can Okuda sort of figure this thing out um, and, and sort of be more of the top pick that I think everybody expected to be. We'll see. Corners are tough, man. You've seen that before. You know, it brings back memories of Terrell Buckley, right? If you're a Packer fan, it's a long time ago for, and some of you guys are like, who's, who's he? Um, look it up. Like Terrell Buckley was a awesome player in college and just never amounted to anything in, in the pros and was sort of a running joke for Packer fans, T-Buck. And he made it on the media. He I guess Coach Chai Alexander, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, Akuda needs to obviously show up a little bit more. But there's not much to be excited, I think, from this Lions like entire roster. I guess McNeil being a starter right away is exciting. Sewell, you know what he can bring to the table. Again, that's something you can be excited about. DeAndre Swift, again, another guy you can be excited for. Maybe. One of the young receivers, whether it's St. Brown, Quintez Cephas, maybe they break out. Sage Sherratt, another guy who I really liked out of college, maybe he has a big year. So I, I do think they have some guys, but they the sum of the all parts is bad. And if they have one big injury, whether it's to like Swift or TJ Hawkinson goes down or they lose Jamie Collins in the middle or any of their like they have they don't have room for a lot of injuries and a lot of errors. So I do think the Lions are going to be a little more competitive than I think we extend some may expect them to be, but they're still not going to be that great. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk about the Saints tomorrow um, and get into that. As for the schedule this week, as you know, we're getting married late this week on Saturday, um, which I'm very excited for. Uh, really looking forward to it. But as the podcast goes, and I've fallen behind on some stuff, I meant to announce something and I haven't, feel bad about it, just for the guys that I, I partnered with. So hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. But we'll, um, we'll have shows on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then Thursday and Friday, I will try to tape some things where you just have some content for you. And it's sort of evergreen stuff. We'll do some Eye on the Enemy I think I have a Badger segment I want to do. Um, maybe we'll do something else. Um, but yeah, so we'll have some evergreen stuff for you Thursday and Friday. Monday, I'll probably be back. Um, I don't know yet. Um, just that day. Hopefully going to just spend it with my wife and enjoy being newlyweds. Um, we don't have a honeymoon yet until January. Might be around NFL playoff time. Not great. But we'll, again, we'll manage. We'll figure it out. If I have to do reviews from the beach in fucking Barbados, that's what we'll do. Uh, but anyways, um, we will be at least on and off, touch and go. But yeah, we're kind of shutting it down starting Thursday. So I don't know from a blog perspective. I have no idea um, whether there'll be blogs, whether or not be um, reviews, TikToks, whole thing. So follow me if you want. Um, if not, you want to wait till after the wedding. I understand that too. All right, guys. Take care of yourself. Have a good Monday. We'll talk tomorrow. All right. See you. Bye.